point number two. Our response to sin should be confession. Sin, obviously, is going to be exposed. How? Because we're spending time in God's Word. Key point number two, our response to that sin should be confession. Let's pick up at verse three. So when I heard this thing, I tore my garment and my robe and plucked out some of my hair of of my head and beard and sat down astonished. Then everyone who trembled at the words of God of Israel assembled to me because of the transgression of those who had been carried away captive, and I sat astonished until the evening sacrifice. At the evening sacrifice, I rose from my fasting, and having torn my garment and my robe, which, by the way, is an expression of grief, I fell on my knees, and I spread out my hands to the Lord my God. By the way, the words used there, literally, it's it's open wide. It's worship with arms spread wide, and that's usually a posture of, of petition. And here's what he said. Oh, my God, I am too ashamed, humiliated to lift up my face to you. Oh, my God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has grown up to the heavens. Since the days of our fathers to this day, we have been very guilty. And for our iniquities, we, our kings and our priests, have been delivered into the hands of the kings of the lands, to the sword, to captivity, to plunder, and to humiliation, as it is to this day. Ezra is so frustrated. He's looking at things and he's going, we're headed right back to this cycle again. We know no sooner than make it back to Israel and we're already doing the very things that God has told us not to do. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been told the news of another person's sin that it caused you such grief? It caused you to grieve, and I mean, to the, to the point of you, you felt hurt because of someone else's sin? Ezra was so upset by the news of sin that he, quote, sat astonished until the evening sacrifice. I thought about that this week. I thought about it a handful of times. You know, the truth is, sin should always disgust us. Sin should always disappoint us. Sin should always grieve us. But when I sat down and thought about it, how many times in my life have I heard the news of someone who has sinned and it caused my heart to just sink? It caused me to just, oh, no, surely they And And I just, just felt, felt mourning. I felt, I felt like weeping and grief. I've been frustrated by sin. I've been disgusted by sin. I've been hurt by sin. But there's only been a handful of times where I have experienced the type of grief that Ezra is describing here. Now, I won't share the details of who or when. You know, the, you know, who and when I experienced those moments of immense feelings of grief over the sin of another. 
However, I can share with you my personal thoughts from those moments. In every single instance, there was a sense of great personal loss that weighed heavy on my heart. I wasn't even, I mean, I'm not the one that has sinned in this case. This is someone else's sin, but it's someone that I love, someone that I cared about, and they've done something that, that grieved me. And I felt personal loss because of their sin. The only way that I can truly describe is by comparing the heavy weight that you feel in your heart when someone extremely close to you dies. The heaviness on your heart is hard to describe. The heaviness is so burdensome that you can't seem to think about anything else. Ezra experiences this when he sat down astonished until the evening sacrifice. Christian author and theologian James M. Hamilton Jr. writes concerning this passage in Ezra, quote, There is no greater travesty than the choice to walk away from God so you can embrace a sinful human, to forsake the Almighty for one of his creatures who turns you against him, who cannot save you from his judgment, and who can never replace him as God. God is the great treasure, and sin is the great bankruptcy. To disobey in this way is worse than turning down clean water so that you may drink from a filthy toilet. It's repulsive. End quote. When I think about that, when I think about this idea of does sin cause us to grieve, have you ever experienced that? It should really bring us to this point of confession. And let me give you the biblical definition of confession. And then we're going to look a little bit closer at Ezra's response. The word confession, it, it, comes, from, it comes from the word homo legeo. It is to say the same as. It's to speak the same thing as. It's to be in agreement with what you say, I say. So the idea here is when we confess sin, it's not just a, the, wor- the world's definition is this, is own up to it. You know, that was, that was kind of what it was when I was a kid, right? You know, it was like, all right, confess, admit that you did it. Like, okay, I confess, it was me. But with that, there was, no, uh, there was no remorse. There was no agreement with anyone. It was just a, yep, I own up to it. And while that might be a, a decent thing to do, understand this, that the depths of what the Scriptures are teaching here when it says to say the same as is really significant when we consider our sin. Because true confession of our sin means this. God... I agree with you. God, I will say the same thing about the sin in my life as what you say about the sin in my life. 
God, I will say the same thing about this sin. I'm in agreement with you. You can't have true confession of sin without being in agreement with God because that, by definition, is what confession truly is. So when we think about the Scripture passages, when we think about this idea of to say the same thing as another, we've got to, we have to confess our sin. Now, with a biblical understanding of confession, listen to these two verses, verses 8 and 9. And now, for a little while, grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us a, a remnant to escape and to give us a peg in his holy place that our God may enlighten our eyes and give us a measure of revival in our bondage. Verse 9, for we were slaves. Slaves to what? Well, certainly slaves in, in Babylon, but slaves to sin as well. Keep in mind that's what redemption does. It brings you out of that. Yet our God did not forsake us in our bondage, but he extended mercy to us in the sight of the kings of Persia to revive us, to repair the house of our God, to rebuild its ruins, and to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. Do you hear the gospel message shouting out from these two verses? Those who insist that somehow the God of the Old Testament is somehow different from the God of the New Testament, they're missing the gospel narrative. They're missing the gospel narrative that has been unfolding since Genesis. Because here we see a God who has been very gracious, who is extending grace and redeeming his people. Remember the biblical definition of confession? To, to say the same as, listen to this passage, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So there is a confession of sin, but understand this, there's also a confession of Christ. If confession is owning up to something, then this passage makes no sense. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, however, if you understand the biblical definition of confession, which means to be in agreement with or to say the same as, it means this to say the same thing about Christ as what the Bible says about Christ. That is to confess the Lord. That God, so what does it say? That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, that what? This is what the Bible teaches about Jesus, that God raised him from the dead. You can agree with that? You agree with that? You confess that? You can be saved. So Ezra not only confesses the sin of the remnant, but he confesses the faithfulness of God. That's what he does. That's what we're seeing unfold throughout chapter 9. He confesses the sin. He confesses the faithfulness of God. And he does it through his declaration of the gospel themes. 